here again. I think it's only been a month since I last spoke, so it's, um, a lot's gone on since then. I've been, uh, I'm one of those lazy teachers. I'm on holiday. Um, we do nothing, of course. Um, so <laughs> so uh, we've been had a great time. Been off to Rock Nations with the youth, which was awesome. Glad some of them are in this morning. Uh, I was preparing for this morning uh, a while ago, and God gave me a, one verse, which was 2 Corinthians 3.17, and it says, well, part of it says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And Brian said to me last week, he said, can you speak on something practical? And I thought, well, freedom's fairly practical, so I'm going to go with that. Um, so, <laughs> so I'm going to talk to you this morning about um, freedom and about how you get free um, and how you stay free, amongst other things. So uh, I'm going to start off with, um, yeah, just uh, I'll move on a slide because we want to move on. Across the Arab world, there's uh, rebellion going on against autocracy. And uh, I found this cartoon, and I couldn't stop looking at it, and I thought, there's so much in this. As, uh, as, as people remove autocracy, you've got some people trying to come in with democracy, and other people saying, no, we think theocracy is better. And I just thought, that kind of sums it up in a picture, doesn't it, about what's going on in the world at the moment. And, and we think that they want freedom, uh, like we have freedom. And actually, they want freedom in their terms and, and their way, um, and perhaps... Um, they're going to have their way eventually. Uh, and it's one of those things that um, you see on the news almost every day with Syria, um, just on the news this morning again about what's going on there. We seem to be getting pulled in. Um, so freedom is, is very much on the agenda. However, I don't know if you know who this is. Does anyone know who they are? These are oh, just on the screen for the benefit of those... For the benefit of those listening to this um, on tape, I've put on the screen two mice, um, and one of them is very short and evil looking, and the other one is a bit dim and very tall. Um, these are cartoon characters from my childhood. They're called Pinky and the Brain. Um, the Brain is obviously the one with the big head, and Pinky is the other one, and they're lab rats. And uh, this was a cartoon I used to watch when I should have been doing my A-levels. Um, so I used to go home and watch this and every night they used to escape from the lab and they used to try and take over the world and it was, there's a famous line on Pinky and the Brain where Pinky would say what are we going to do tonight Brain? and Brain would say the same thing we do every night Pinky try to take over the world and they would go out and they would try and take over the world and they got very close to taking over the world several times and they were always out for freedom because <laughs> anyway Moving on. Um, so, another break for freedom, The Great Escape. Anyone seen the film? Yeah. It's a classic, isn't it? Steve McQueen, um, amongst others. And uh, I was uh, fascinated by World War II history. I read the history of the Second World War. I'm really interested in 20th century um, history and books and things like that. So I do read a fair bit about that. Um, and you may not know, but you may know, but uh, about Colditz. Colditz was a prison camp in a castle on a hill in southern Germany, and, and what they did there was they put all the people that tried to escape all the time into one place. I thought, that's, that's just such a stupid thing to do, isn't it? <laughs> but they thought it was impossible to escape from. Um, but I found out a little bit about this. Um, there was one famous escape, which was on January 5th, 1942, a guy called Airy Neve and Anthony Luton um, successfully escaped from Colditz Castle. Um, being the first British officer to accomplish that feat, that, that was Neve. Um, and it said, uh, this is from Wikipedia, just a quote, although it was considered a high-security prison, it boasted one of the highest records of successful escape attempts. <laughs> and then there's this great line, 
It says, this could be owing to the general nature of the prisoners that were sent there. (laughs) Fantastic. If you're going to put all those people in one place, something's going to kick off, isn't it? So I just just love reading stories like that. Although it was a dark time, there were little bits like that. You know, they they had a a glider they built in the loft. The Germans were unaware of it. And when they got liberated, they never had a chance to use it, but it actually might have worked. So... (laughs) Um, I've also I've shared before about, um, about the Great Escape up on the screens, um, Stalag Luft III um, for airmen. Uh, that's what the film's made about, you know, the vaulting horse. They used to get the vaulting horse out in the day, and underneath the vaulting horse they were, they were busy at work digging and uh, getting rid of the sand, etc. Um, I've, I've probably shared this before, but actually from the tunnel... Um, well, what those guys did during that time was they, they hid from the Germans a massive amount of stuff that they nicked. And I just thought I'd just share a bit that the, the Germans didn't really catch on to. Um, that they, they, 200 t- tons of sand were taken out um, and moved. 4,000 bedboards. I mean, how they didn't notice this, I don't know. 90 double bunk beds disappeared. 635 mattresses. There was a lot of guys there, but that must have been noted somewhere. Um, 52 20-man tables. I mean, huge tables went missing. Uh, Let's go down the list. 34 chairs, 76 benches. Wow. 1,200 knives. (laughs) Security wasn't that good, obviously. Um, 246 water cans. It goes on and on. 1,000 feet of electric wire. 600 feet of rope. 1,700 blankets. But nobody, nobody really noticed what was going on until they broke out, of course. And it didn't go particularly well for them, as you'll know from the film. But there was a guy there, squadron leader Roger Bushell, and uh, he said to the men, "Um, everyone here in this room is living on borrowed time. By rights, we should all be dead. The only reason that God allowed us this extra ration of life is so we can make life hell for the enemy. I thought, that's good leadership. (laughs) I thought, that's that's great. You know, that's the kind of man you want in charge when you're trying to escape from a prison camp. He just uh, saw it as, we're here for a purpose, and so are we, aren't we? So there are two points that come out of all of this. Um, The first one being that we long for freedom in our lives. Uh, More than anything, we want to be free. Um, You can see that in what's going on in the news. People want freedom. They want to be able to decide what happens to them. And they want to be able to say, I am going to be like this, or I'm going to be this type of person. The other thing that comes out of it, of course, is that we're experts at hiding stuff. And we are really good at hiding stuff from other people. Because everyone's got blind spots. So we, we get to be experts um, at hiding things. Obviously, you can't hide anything from God. Um, so, I hope it's going to work. Yeah. So, freedom. So, I want to do two things this morning. Or God, I believe, wants to do two things. Firstly, give a new start to anyone who wants it. Because God is in the business of new starts. <laughs> That's why I love God so much that he gave me a new start when I was 14 years old. And I've never looked back. I've had my moments, but I've never looked back. I've never walked away from him since that moment because it was such a profound moment that God would actually care for me. God would actually care enough about me, little old me, that he would die. And someone explained that to me. And it just blew my mind. So God wants to give a new start to you this morning. And the second thing is to inspire new energy in you if you've kind of got weighed down. And I know how this feels. Um, I've been there many times. 
you feel like you're going great guns, like when you come back from a great festival or something like that, and you feel like you've been inspired and you've had amazing teaching and you've been worshipping with these amazing worship bands, and you come home and it's all normal again. And it's like, And after a little while, it drags you down and, and you feel a little bit heavy. So I'm going to speak to you this morning too. But hopefully you'll all get something out of it. Now, um, on my wall in my office at work, I have a, a picture of a man called John Wooden. Does anybody know who John Wooden was? He's dead now. John Wooden was a basketball coach in America. He's one of the most famous basketball coaches ever. And, he, and one of the most successful basketball coaches ever. And he was a, a very wise man. He was, a, he was a Christian man. And he wrote down a lot of it. Before he died, he wrote down a lot of his advice for other coaches and for other people. And one of his quotes, which is very true, is the true test of a man's character is what he does when no one is watching. And this was a man who understood people because he worked with people and coached people from being normal to being extraordinary. Um, And he knew what character really was. And he said, before you can have success, you've got to have things like honesty, integrity. And he built that into his teams and they were very successful as a result. You see, our character is revealed by what we're like when no one's looking. And that's what I mean about being really good at hiding things. Okay, and there's people here this morning, just like me, who are hiding things in their lives that don't particularly want other people to know about, that God knows about, and that God wants to deal with. And I would say to you this morning, if that's you, there is hope. There is hope this morning for that to be taken, broken, and for you to move on. Okay? Okay. In 1 Peter 1, verse 3, uh, in the message, it says, Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. Isn't that amazing? So because he died on the cross, we have been given new life. And we can live in that, or we can choose not to live in that. Actually, choosing not to live in that is really easy. You just do nothing. You have to choose to live in it every day. You have to actually, like we said this morning, down in that room down below, there's some switches on the wall that say on, off. We've no idea what they do. And I was looking at them, and God said, you can either flip the switch on and take the chance, or you can switch it off or leave it off. And that's just like our hearts. Every day when you wake up, your switch is off, most likely. And you have a choice to switch on to God or to carry on with it off. Okay, so I challenge you this morning. Um, tomorrow morning when you wake up in your bed is the switch going to stay off all day or are you going to switch it on immediately that's my challenge first of all Um, a guy called Rick Warren um, he wrote The Purpose Driven Life and all that Um, he's been through a tragedy recently um, but he said this on on his website it says this I want to make sure you thoroughly understand that Jesus is in the business of giving people a fresh start doesn't matter what you've done doesn't matter where you've been, doesn't matter how bad you think you've blown it, Jesus will give you a fresh start. The Apostle Peter says several things happen once you give your life to Jesus. You open up your life to God and get to know him. You're given a brand new life, which gives you everything to live for, and you get a future in heaven. You could say it this way, you get your past forgiven, can't do the accent, but you get a purpose for living, and you get a home in heaven. What a deal. Your past, present, and future are taken care of as you put your trust in Jesus. A fresh start. 
1 Corinthians 1, verse 30 says, Everything that we have, right thinking and right living, a clean slate and a fresh start, comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. He is the only hope. I was watching um, a video the other day. It was Billy Graham in 1958. He preached to, I don't know, tens of thousands. Um, I forget the name. It was Charlotte, in the city of Charlotte in America. And he was preaching about what is wrong with the world. And you know what? There's all these comments. You know, on YouTube videos, there are comments underneath. And everyone was saying, this is so relevant now. This is so relevant to today. What is wrong with the world? Why can't people find satisfaction? And he points out that the only satisfaction you can find in life, the only hope you have in life, is with Jesus Christ. But they don't want you to know that, because it all sounds a bit un-PC. But I'm not afraid to stand here this morning and say to you that Jesus Christ is the only way you'll ever be happy, the only way you'll ever find true satisfaction, and the only way you'll really ever be truly free. And let's say a little bit more about that now. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So there's a better way to live. So we're going to have a look at a couple of examples from the Bible. The first one's Acts 16, if you want to have a look at it. I'm reading for the NIV here. Um, and this is where Paul and Silas get stuck in prison. Now this is... Um, obviously, after Jesus um, has been to the earth, these guys have, have started the early church. So they're on their, their mission trips. And Paul and Silas, well, this story is amazing. We start in Acts 16, verse 16. And just, I love Acts because um, it just tells you how, how it happened. So <laughs> it's just really interesting, I think. Um, it says, once, verse 16, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. (laughs) It makes me laugh, actually. (laughs) Um, You know, how the enemy can't lie about God (laughs) when he's faced with God. Um, He just speaks the truth. But it got annoying. Um, So she kept this up for many days. So they were quite patient, really. Um, Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Nice bit of fabricated stuff. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Now, that is no simple thing. That's quite bad. Um, After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So these guys have been beaten half to death with metal rods. They've been um, unjustly accused of things. Then they've been um, taken to prison and put in the inner cell with their feet in stocks. So they're not going anywhere. And you might say, if you were put in that situation, you'd feel pretty down. I know I would. I'd be thinking, oh, poor me. Oh, God, why did you ask me to do this? This is so hard. But that's not what Paul and Silas do. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. So these guys are singing 
singing hymns to God when they're in that condition, top of their voices, and it says everyone's listening. It says the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open, everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. (laughs) It's crazy, isn't it? It's true. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? It's fairly obvious to him what's happened. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Wow. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now that they want to get rid of us quietly, no, let them come themselves and escort us out. Good, I like that. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, which is quite a major thing in those days, actually, to harm a Roman citizen was a crime punishable by death, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left on their own terms. So this is complete defeat, you might think, to complete victory. Uh, A a few key points here. Um, First of all, they were singing and the other prisoners were listening, singing at midnight. They had something. Okay, everyone in that prison knew these guys have just been beaten half to death. They've been put in the stocks. These are serious, serious people. They've been put in here for a reason, but they're singing to God and they are gripped, excited by what they're singing. They are unable to pull themselves away from these guys and, and they've got something. What have you got? You know, we're all in here for a reason. <laughs> what are you in for? Second thing, they were released supernaturally, but they didn't leave. Why didn't they run away? I was hearing about this at Rock Nations. Someone pointed out the other prisoners were listening and didn't leave either. All the doors flew open and the chains fell off everybody. But they all stayed to listen to what Paul and Silas were saying. Because what they were offering, and this is a key truth, what they were offering was more freedom than being out of the jail. Okay? So what they were offering was actually more significant and worth listening to than legging it. They would rather stay and be truly free. And they knew that there was something here they wanted. Isn't that great? Yeah. Third thing is that nothing can stop God. Nothing. He wants to use you to cause this kind of chaos in the enemy camp. So, so these guys, you know, despite the fact they've been locked up and they've been put in the most secure place in the city, um, it's not going to stop God. If he wants to open it all, let them go. You know? And he just, God just did what he was doing anyway. There was no way the enemy was going to stop what God was doing. Because Paul and Silas were <laughs> completely fired up and going for this. <laughs> so, um, so that's the first one I want to, I want to talk about. And, and the reason I've shared that one is because um, the prisoners there represent sometimes us. The other prisoners in the cells who were listening. 
I felt when I was preparing this that some of you feel like that. That you've come to this meeting, for example, uh, and you're sitting there and you're thinking, wow, there's something here. There's something going on here. People are getting healed. Just like that. People are um, completely caught up in worshipping God. And I can't see God, but they're caught up in it and they seem to feel it and they seem to go for this. What is it? And if that's you this morning, then keep listening. So I'll come back to you in a minute. The next one we're going to look at is John 21, and this is about Peter. So if you want to flick across to John. Okay, John 21 is after the crucifixion and the resurrection. And Peter, again, is the key character here. He has um, had a bad time. Peter was supposed to be the most sold-out disciple, he liked to think. Uh, He was quite a loud mouth, it seems. And he was, he was quite quick to speak sometimes. And he, he sometimes didn't have a lot of wisdom. So he'd rush in. I mean, he was full of zeal. And he wanted to be like, I'm really with you, Jesus. Yeah, let's go and do this. But sometimes he'd forget to think. So um, Jesus said to him, um, before he was crucified, he said, um, do you love me? And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, who do you say I am? And all the rest of it. And he says, this very night, you'll deny me three times. He said, no, never, never, never. But then he did. So he denied that he knew Jesus after he got arrested, and, and Peter must have felt absolutely gutted, um, so demoralized. And then he sees him put to death. Now, this person I thought was the Messiah, and I said was the Messiah, he's dead on a cross, killed by the Romans. Maybe he wasn't, you know. He starts to think, but then he comes alive again, and they're in that upper room, and they see him. And Peter's still thinking, like, this is, maybe it's not. Okay, so, so I think in the back of Peter's mind, at the, at the beginning of this chapter, at John 21, he's, he's kind of given up. He doesn't know what to do. And so what does he do? Goes back to fishing. He does what most of us do um, when we're upset, fed up, demoralized, disappointed. We go and do the thing we enjoy the most. So he went back to fishing down at the, like, down at the Sea of Galilee. He just thought, oh, let's go and do that again. Wants to get on with it. So he goes back to where he's comfortable. And in verse 1, he, it says, After this, Jesus appeared again to the disciples, this time at the Tiberias Sea, the Sea of Galilee. This is how he did it. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the brother Zebedee. That's crazy, isn't it? Great title, the brother Zebedee. <laughs> I just think of Magic Roundabout. Never mind. So, never mind. Um, and two other disciples were together. Simon Peter announced... I'm going fishing. Great. The rest of them replied, we're going with you. They went out and got in the boat. They caught nothing that night. When the sun came up, Jesus was standing on the beach, but they didn't recognize him. I guess he looked a bit different. Or maybe he was just too far away. Who knows? Jesus spoke to them. Can't have been that far away. Good morning. Did you catch anything for breakfast? They answered, no. He said... Throw the net off the right side of the boat to see what happens. They did what he said. All of a sudden, there were so many fish in it, they weren't strong enough to pull it in. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the master. I like this bit because the disciple Jesus loved is John, of course, and he's writing this. So he likes to point out, you know, the disciple Jesus loved. Noticed it was the master. <laughs> when Simon Peter realized that it was the master, he threw on some clothes, for he was stripped for work, and dove into the sea. The other disciples came in by boat, for they weren't far from land, 100 yards or so, pulling along the net full of fish. When they got out of the boat, they saw a fire laid with fish and bread cooking on it. 
Before I go on, I love this bit where, where Peter, so excited, <laughs> just like throws on some clothes and oh, I'm in, straight in there and bounding over the waves to get to Jesus because, you know, he's in the place of the greatest need right at that time. He's the person who let Jesus down. Why would you ever come back for me, Jesus? But you're here. <laughs> and it rises up inside. I've got to get to him now. I've got to get to him. And he jumps off the boat. And I can just picture him. I love this mental picture of him bounding through the waves. And, Jesus! And then just a massive embrace as they <laughs> collide on the beach. <laughs> it's just brilliant, isn't it? Jesus said, bring some of the fish you've caught. Simon Peter joined them and pulled the net to shore. 153 big fish. And even with all those fish, the net didn't rip. Jesus said, breakfast is ready. Not one of the disciples dared ask, who are you? They knew it was the master. Jesus then took the bread and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time he'd shown himself alive to the disciples since being raised from the dead. Key points. Peter needed restoring. Okay, So he didn't hold back. He'd seen Jesus alive, but he hadn't been restored. And that was the key thing. There's people here this morning. You've seen Jesus. You know Jesus. But you need an encounter with Jesus. You need to be restored by Jesus. And that's what I'm bringing out here. Second thing, Peter dives in and runs to get to Jesus. He recognizes his need of Jesus. I recognize my need this morning. Every time I speak, I get really nervous. Um, I don't necessarily uh, come across as nervous, but I am. And uh, <laughs> when I'm speaking, I get quite trembly in the mornings when I wake up. I'm like, woo, I've got to go and speak. And there's all these faces. You know? <laughs> and, it's, and you don't always know what people are thinking. You know? <laughs> so, um, it's kind of in- intimidating. But Peter just dives in and goes for it. He doesn't care what anyone thinks. He doesn't care. He loses all his dignity and just goes for it. When that moment comes and you see Jesus is still reaching out to you despite your sin, you just want to go to him. So today's that moment. A couple of verses for you to look up later if you're making notes. Ephesians 4, 17 to 24 is a very key verse. I won't go through it now because it will sidetrack us. And also that's Ephesians 4, 17 to 24 and Romans 6, 1 to 4 uh, which talks about um, because there is grace, shall we therefore sin? Um, and it's a very important thing to understand that just because God forgives doesn't give us license to go and sin and go, oh, well, he'll forgive me. It's also not license to, um, to treat other people in the church as though they should forgive you for things. Okay, so it's a very important thing, and I was going to sidetrack on that, and I don't want to. So um, the other verse I want to share is Zephaniah 3.17. Um, oh, it's gone. Beg your pardon. <laughs> um, Zephaniah 3.17 is, is a very old, old Testament verse from a minor prophet Zephaniah, but it's such a key verse. So I'm just going to read this. It gives you an idea of what God thinks of you, which is really important, okay? The Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Yeah, this is God we're talking about. God who creates the universe, creates all of us, rejoices over us with singing. I love that. Can I have the worship group up? Is that all right? Just uh, while we're finishing off, that'd be good. You see, I, I think many people see God 
uh, some kind of stern father who is there to um, judge you, who is there to teach you a lesson. Um, Some people think um, God is going to put me through trials so that I become a better person. It's true to some extent, but that's not his attitude to it. His attitude to it is that he loves you unconditionally, and he allows things to happen for you to learn, for you to grow, just like you do with your own kids. When you see them struggling at school with an issue, with a friend or something like that, and you think, I could intervene and remove them from that situation, or I could let them learn something through it and actually become a better person. So there is that aspect to God. Okay? He's, he's wise, and he knows how to treat us. But also, he is unconditionally loving you this morning. He loves you with a passion that is undyed by millennia. Yeah. He knew you would be born. He knew you would be here this morning. And he planned for this moment in your life. 